I cannot hear you. Gretzky had it, lost it. Eisenman picks it up. Eisenman moving. Blue line chance. Oh! Ladies and gentlemen, this is Puck Puck Pass, and these are your hosts, the hockey know-it-alls, KJ and Zach Mack. What is up, everybody? Welcome to a very Christmas episode of Puck Puck Pass. As always, I'm your host, KJ, joined by the jolly Zach Mack. I'm sorry I keep making your life more and more difficult by these earlier and earlier Saturday morning episodes. (laughs) It's all right, man. It's what Daylight Savings is for. Yeah, it's it's for like the three farmers that are left in the U.S., but I can appreciate the effort there. Uh, it is, yes, it is early, not as not as early as I thought it would be on Saturday, but unfortunately, some of us have to work on the holiday weekends, uh, which makes podcasting very difficult. But we have a very uh, merry, very merry episode. I like that. That's probably the title of this episode now. A very merry episode, including uh, fun lists, naughty nice, and our top 10 player of the decades, as well as anything we think of along the way. Uh, Saturday episodes obviously are not super scripted, but being as Christmas is on Wednesday, which is a recording day, and New Year's also on Wednesday, still a recording day, uh, things are going to get a little tight here towards the end of the year. So we wanted to get everything we could into uh, what is probably what is definitely our last episode before Christmas. Uh, so let's start with stocking. I don't want to go right into our list, uh, the top 10 players list. I want to build a little bit of anticipation. Okay. Uh, by the way, Anthony DeClaire continues to kill it. I Just know, phenomenal I for my fantasy team. So you got 20 goals now? Yes. Yeah, he's, he's unbelievable. He has 20... Oh, 20 exactly. Yeah, 20 exactly. Uh, Noah Chari, another hat trick last night. Wow, I saw you had two. I didn't know he completed it. Yeah, he completed it on a penalty shot. Mm. So, very, at least, it, as much as I hate the shootout, penalty shots are pretty fun in yeah. the middle of a game. Yeah. But good for Noah Chari and Anthony DeClaire. And thank you for boosting my fantasy team. Uh, so, we, we put together some stocking stuffers. Uh, just trying to give the teams that need a little boost, a little something extra. Uh, I mean, there's too many teams that deserve coal that we we didn't do. I, I didn't do anybody specifically for coal. Yeah, we're in I a just, good mood this I, year. Yeah, we're in a, we're we're in a happy Christmas mood. Uh, so I'll go first. Uh, I'll, I have five. I'll start at number five. I'm gonna. I'm going to try to stuff into the shark stocking a cardboard cutout of an NHL goaltender because even that would be better than what they have between the pipes. Well, I, I thought you were going to go with some phantom penalty, something. <laughs> they trust me. They, I would give that, that to them in the playoffs, but they don't have to worry about that this year. Yeah. I mean, what about, um, what about a coach? I, I like what you gave him because you're right. We can't put too much on, on DeBoer, but I, I like the Listen, now that Like those things. Did listen, you you played street hockey, right? Or those things that you just like strapped to the posts? Yeah, and you only had like the corners, Bible. Yeah. I can't. 
They were always better than any goal that we could give. Yeah, that for sure. Listen, I mean, goaltending. I mean, you could only blame DeBoer for so much, but I mean, even when they even when they got rid of DeBoer, I was like, eh, I mean, goaltending wasn't his fault. He, I mean, he could have done a little bit more probably in the postseason as far as adapting to what other teams were figuring out about the Sharks. But like I said in the last episode, Aaron Dell and Martin Jones are a bigger issue for the Sharks than Pete DeBoer ever was. And Bob Bugner, whatever the hell his name is, as the interim head coach, he's not going to fix goaltending either. You can probably hide behind a bad coach with decent goaltending, but the Sharks seem content with hiding behind even worse goaltending to blame their coach. So, yeah, it's a, uh, that's a good cardboard cutout. Yeah. Because I mean, honestly, you got if you got you got Car- you locked up Carlson forever, and if they don't if they don't fix goaltending, they're just gonna they're gonna be bad for a long time. Yeah, I mean that, that I mean that team's getting older too. So yeah, I mean they've got good young players, but you got to figure out goaltending. At, I mean, this season's probably a wash. I would have to assume. I mean, they could definitely string eight to ten wins together, but the goal the goaltending in the long run is is going to be the reason they don't make the playoffs. You can guarantee it. I'll go next. Um, I'll bring up the Oilers early so we can get them out of the way. Uh, I'm just going to give them some support as much as I can. They got some early from James Neal, who was scoring early on in the season. But that's kind of, I mean, he's got 16 goals, but he's kind of pitted off. And I want to say that they have a yeah negative six goal differential with two of the top scorers in the Jeez. league. So they need a little bit of support. If they're slipping a little bit lately and, you know, everyone's saying, you know, this is the Oilers, this is what they're going to do. But if they could get some support for Christmas, they might be all right. Yeah, I'll tie that into my next one, actually, because I had them at three, but I'll just – I'll just make it my next one. Uh, a second line is what I'm going to put into yeah. the Oilers okay. stocking. I, I said it last night in the little Twitter video battle we did last night. Splitting up McDavid and Idol just isn't going to work. In it's not a hundred percent. I mean, for content's sake, I'll say it's a hundred percent on Idol, but it's, you can't. Those guys just work so well together. It, it's becoming less about how underwhelming Dreisaitl is on his own line and more about how incredible they are together. I don't think it's worth splitting splitting them up and trying to spread out scoring when your only, you know, high scoring games come from when those two guys are together. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what's, what's your next one? Yeah. So I'll go next. I got uh, the Buffalo Sabres. Um, mm. I'm just going to give them, just going to give them a penalty kill. They're 29th in the league in penalty kill. And, you know, we've talked about Eichel. He went on that 17-game point streak. Phenomenal player. This is a good team. But they're 19th in the overall standings. And I think they're they're better than that. And if they could get their special teams up a little bit, that helps. Uh, what, they lost to the, God, they lost to the Flyers 6-1 to one the other day. And the Flyers had three power play goals. Yeah, that, that'll kill you. Especially... Especially when you're getting better. Because, I mean, like you said, they're a good team. They're far from a great team right now, but a a serviceable penalty kill would be a lot better for them. That Flyers game, the Flyers seem to be everyone's, like, anomaly game. Like, I think they beat the Maple Leafs 
six to one or six to two a couple weeks ago as well. I and the Golden Knights, like they've kind of been everyone's like, oh my god, thank God that game's over. Uh, and they were, I mean, not that it matters in the grand scheme of things, but the Flyers were so emotionally charged for that Sabres game. The whole crowd—I don't know if you got to see pictures of it—but they put uh, the Oscar Strong and the We Fight for Oscar. Uh, signs on every seat in the building and the place was packed and it was jumping in support for Oscar Lindblom, which was really cool to see. And it was almost a guarantee that the Flyers were going to come out on fire in their two games following the Lindblom situation. But as far as the Sabres, I think a penalty kill, almost a decent penalty kill guarantees them a playoff spot with the way they're playing right now. Yeah. Uh, I skipped which one did I skip? Oh, I skipped the Lightning. Uh, I'm just going to ball up a new coach and, and put it in a stock for them, <laughs> and hopefully they decide to open it at some point this year because John Cooper sucks. I, I There's no way – if you look at that team from top to bottom and he can't fix injuries, which they haven't had a lot of, so that's not really an excuse. You look at the talent on that team. You look at what they did last year. You look at how the playoffs ended for them last year and the year before and the year before and the year before. John Cooper is ruining that team. Yeah, if they don't – that's a good point. If they don't pick it up this season, I could realistically see them getting rid of him at the end of the year. They would – I mean, if they don't make the playoffs this year, I think you have – as soon as they're eliminated, I think you just make the move right then. Yeah. And and try to get ahead of – try to get ahead of – Whatever coaching search is left, I mean, like we've talked about before, a lot of the coaches left on the market are already deemed untouchable as far as the coaches that have been fired. But you mentioned Pete DeBoer earlier. He's he's available, and he can coach talent. We've seen him coach talent, which I think you could say for a lot of coaches, NHL, AHL, if you put talent in front of them, they're going to be able to do it. For some reason, John Cooper can't unless everything's clicking for him at all times. I think Pete DeBoer would be able to do enough with a very good a Vesna winning goaltender and some of the best offensive talents in the world. I, if they don't make the playoffs, I think I would probably put Pete DeBoer at the top of my list, but John Cooper would be a guarantee as far as not being the coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning anymore. Yeah, I think so too. And I would, I'd be interested to see that DeBoer behind the bench for the Lightning. Um, I'll, I'll go next. I got, I got the Islanders. Um, I'm just going to stuff some electricity into their stocking because this is a good team. And we've talked about how they their backbone is the defense and the goaltending. And they made the playoffs last year. They did pretty well in the playoffs last year. But to make a run, you got to have some electricity on offense. The Blues and the, and the Bruins last year both had good goaltending, both good defensively. But – to make that run, you got to have moments of electricity, and if the Islanders can get that, I think they could be a contending team. Yeah, that's actually my next one as well. It was offense, uh, but if you're if you're giving out electricity, can you throw some in my stocking too? Because I'm tired of paying Pico what I pay them. <laughs> I, I heard, I heard you, had to, you had to put the fireplace on. It's brutal, uh, but yeah, off offense for the Isles is really all they need, and they don't need much of it, which was kind of le- I. I mean, I've been thinking about this, but as I wrote this down, I remember to ask you this episode. Do they – they're good enough defensively in between the pipes to really be able to afford to give up a good amount to get 
any sort of elite scorer that's on the market come trade deadline time, right? Like if, if there's someone out there that they could go get, and I don't, I, I don't know right now who that would be, but even, you know, we we're talking about the the Sharks adding a Thomas Hurdle to the lineup, like just enough to get something going for that team offensively, and they might catch the Capitals at that point. And do you think they? They're worried about making a move to add offense at the trade deadline, or do you think they're gonna try to win just a hundred percent defense? Uh, I would. I want them to add something offensively. I like that trade deadline move idea. Uh, I, I tend to believe they probably think they're okay with what they got, and they're gonna try and win with what they got. I would like to see them add a piece, chase the Capitals, give them a run for their money. I think they're in the playoffs either way, but. Yeah, I'd, li- I'd like to see the Islanders go for a search. What if they, and we've, we've talked about them a lot, what if they traded for Declare? Ooh, do you think, ooh. I'd like I mean, that. I can't imagine Ottawa's holding on to Anthony Declare for their rebuild. I mean, he's a young guy, but I, I don't see the Islanders or the, the Senators fighting to keep him and in, in asking for way too much. Yeah, the Sounders can get a couple picks. I think they would do it. Yeah, just keep yeah, just keep building on the picks that they're getting for unloading yeah. basically their entire team over the last few years. Because if you look at guys as far as who's leading the league in goals, it's a lot of guys that are already on contending teams or franchise players. Declare is really the only guy in the mix that's not in Jean Gabriel Pajot has 16 goals. You know, he's 16th in the in the league in goals. You know, Brent Montreal is bumped up to a playoff spot. So Brendan Gallagher is not really in the mix. Yeah, honestly, Duclair is the only, as far as just goals, the only guy in the mix on a team that definitely isn't going to make the playoffs. Yeah. That would be interesting. Look at what we just did there. We just built the best trade of the trade deadline. <laughs> um, I got one more. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll go. Um, I got the Penguins. Just going to stuff Ooh, a bunch of good. bunch of med kits into their <laughs> stocking because it's a good team, fun team to watch, but they just got to stay healthy. And I know, I know we haven't talked about them recently, but it seems like every time we bring them up, we're talking about an injury. And if they can stay healthy, they can use these med kits sustainable run I think the Penguins can make. Yeah, you're ab- you're absolutely right. It, they just need to be a little bit more healthy, and they're probably at the, near the top of the standings or closer to the top of the standings than they already are. The Penguins remind me of the guys that I'll sometimes play like Fortnite or Overwatch with, <laughs> and they just spam the healing button. They're like, need healing, need healing. Like, that's the Penguins this year. Uh, but you're – I mean – in, in actuality, they just need one med kit, wrap Sidney Crosby up in it, yeah. and they'll be they'll be good for the rest of the year. That's a very good – and we saw it last night. I'm not going to bury you for anything that happened last night, but I mean, they came together and they, they took it to the Oilers in Edmonton without Sidney Crosby. I think it was another glimpse at just how good they'll be when 87 comes back. Yeah. Uh, my last one is, is for Boston. A shootout or overtime win. I'm just going to just 
bury it in their stocking and hopefully they can they're not going to need the extra points but they only they have 19 of their 21 wins are in regulation they're 0 and 5 in the shootout three other overtime losses it's just it's been tough for them beyond regulation and uh, like i said they're not going to need the extra points if i had to guess but it is depressing to see boston twitter bruins twitter i should say just kind of collectively sigh every time it goes beyond regulation. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I like I like watching the Bruins struggle. Then they don't struggle very often. But I don't know. I've I've voiced enough how much I don't like overtime and don't like shootout, but it makes me happy that the Bruins can't seem to get it right. Three, four, and three in their last ten. They've lost back to back overtime games. Sounds like they could use it then. They Absolutely could, and that goal differential is uh, slowly getting closer and closer to zero. I mean, it's still plus 27, but they'll, they'll be fine without the overtime wins. Uh, so plenty of stockings are getting stuffed. This uh, That's not an innuendo. That is, that is actually <laughs> referring to hockey. Uh, so I'm glad we got those out of the way. Hopefully those teams enjoy it, and if any of them were expecting – like the Bruins are probably expecting Cole from the Puck Puck Pass community, but we're going to – we're going to give them something they need. Yeah. And that's just the type of people we are. Good guys. Good guys. All right, let's do it. Top 10 players of the decade. Sure. Yep. I, uh, I threw mine together this morning, so I'm, I'm hoping I didn't miss anyone. I appreciate the commitment. This is one of those. Li- I mean, Greg Wyshynski at ESPN to top 100. Uh, you couldn't pay me enough to do that. Yeah. That's just, I mean, even he was saying, on uh, his his podcast, Puck Soup, you know, he did the whole list and then realized he didn't have Joe Thornton on there. And he had Ben Bishop twice. Like, that top 100 is insane. And because we have so much recency bias as well, so some guys get lost in the mix. Like, how long did they play in the 2010s and all sorts of stuff. So we just did top 10. Uh, and our top 10 lists always go over so well. One of us is absolutely correct every time we do the top 10. <laughs> so we figured we'd go into it. Uh, Let's start with your number 10. Number 10, I squeaked Pavel Datsuk in there. Um, he's got three Selkies, four Bings. Uh, no, I, I guess some of those didn't come from... Sorry about that. Um, some of those didn't come from this decade, but still one of the... Uh, and he still had, as far as when he played in this decade, he retired after the 15-16 season, but... Um, Still one of those. On a struggling roster, it was still one of the most dynamic players. Yeah, I mean, his last Selkie came in 2010, but he was a finalist for the next three seasons in a row. Yeah. Uh, he ranks ahead of basically every other two-way center with similar numbers. And for any player over the past decade with a minimum of 300 games played, he is a better goals above average per 60 and second overall in wins above average per 60. Uh, that's better than McDavid and Sidney Crosby. So he's definitely deserving of this list. Uh, my number 10 is Duncan Keith. I think over the last couple years, people have kind of forgotten uh, what he meant to that Blackhawks dynasty. He averaged over 25 minutes of ice time this decade. Wow. And 455 points in 755 games. Two Norris trophies. He won the Smythe in 2015, 
which included one of the most dominant postseasons ever for a defenseman. I'm reading off a website. I don't have I I did not memorize all this. <laughs> 21 points in 23 games in that postseason. Uh, yeah, his his play wasn't awesome following that, but overall uh, for this decade, Duncan Keith's been unbelievable. Uh, somehow not even the best defenseman on the on my list, but very very good. And I know I know including Keith shows my bias a little bit, but he was unbelievable. And I think the past couple of years have, have forced people to forget that a little bit. Yeah. I, f- I mean, I figured you're going to squeeze as many Blackhawks in there as you could. And, and I put Datsuk at 10. So it's fair. I had to leave Keith off because I was putting my bias in there. So I, I respect what Keith's done. I haven't always been a Blackhawk guy. I watched a ton of Blackhawk games, but I know how important he wants to that team. And I think, I think he's well-deserving. Who's your number nine? Uh, number nine, I had another two-way forward, Patrice Bergeron. Uh, four Selkies this decade. Oh, never really had to play on a struggling roster, but has always been a go-to guy for the Boston Bruins, and obviously they've seen a lot of success this decade, so uh, couldn't couldn't leave him off the list. Yeah, well, I did. I'll just come right out and say it. Okay. I didn't. I don't have Patrice Bergeron on my list. I. I know he's going to be on everyone else's list. I we're four Selkies is great. I I mean, winning the Selkie is great. I, we awarded, you know, Datsuk for it. Datsuk's my number nine for what it's worth. Uh, I'm not outside of the Selkie. He doesn't really have too many award. I'm, I'm just looking at his hockey reference page. He's never really been in the conversation for any other award. He won the Clancy in 2012-13, you know, in the the lockout year. But one, he's got the one cup in 2011. Yeah, he's a great two-way player. I'm not even convinced. I mean, he's going to be because of the way everyone celebrates him, and he's Canadian, and he plays in Boston. Patrice Bergeron, if we were doing – I don't want to say it. I have to say it. If we were doing a top 10 overrated players of the decade, Bergeron, Bergeron would be on my list for that. I can respect that. But, I I mean, he's going to be on everyone's list, so I get it. And that's pop, that's kind of why I, I left him off. But I'm just – I'm not sold that Patrice Bergeron is this incredible – I mean, Pavel Datsuk, to me, it was just a better version – of Patrice Bergeron, and when Mark Stone's career is over, we'll wish Bergeron was more like Mark Stone. I'm putting my money on that. Okay, but but Mark Stone's not on my list. Don't worry, I'm not that crazy <laughs> yet. Uh, my number nine, like I said, is Dotsuk for all the reasons I mentioned before. Uh, I grew up watching Pavel Dotsuk. What he did to Logan Couture in the corner with the, the crossover Deeks two, three, four times to knock Logan Couture on his ass is one of the 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 best stick handling moves I've ever seen. And then in the 2014 playoffs, I want to say, uh, when he took a pass in game one from behind him, brought it between his legs, yeah, I remember got that. it on his forehand and sniped it from just inside the blue line to score one of like – the Red Wings only four or five goals for that series. It was incredible. It was one of those subtle reminders that 
just how good Pavel Datsuk. I mean, he's he's far way far off of even a thousand points. Like people are shocked by that, but you know, you know, he's one of those weird. Only had one hat trick in his entire career, but was one of the most electrifying players you ever see on the ice. Uh, so yeah, he was a no brainer to put on my top ten. Who'd you have eight? Steven Stamkos. Oh, the wow. second best score, the second best scorer of this gener, uh, probably this generation, but definitely this decade. Uh, three hundred eighty-three goals in six hundred ninety-five games. He had the best overall goals per sixty minutes average, one point two two. Fifth in the decade points per game, two scoring titles. He hit sixty in two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve. I mean, the only the only really as I'm reading this, the only real knock on him. He's only been nominated for the heart once, and he's not great in the postseason. But none of that, like I said, that's got a little bit to do with coaching, and that Lightning team doesn't always perform in the playoffs when they get there. So that's to be expected. But Steven Stamkos, uh, definitely a top-ten player of the decade. Yeah, I had him a little higher, so I'll get to him in a bit. I had Evgeny Malkin at eight. Um had that one season that was this decade that we uh, alluded to a little bit earlier episode where he just kind of dominated as the main force for the Penguins, one the Hart, one the Ross, one the Pearson, um, and never has really been an award winner since that season. That was the, what was that, the 11-12 season, um, but still has been, you know, point scorer. After that, he went. Well, they had the lockout and seventy-two, seventy points. Got up to ninety-eight and seventeen, eighteen season. Um, I think he's just been one of the more consistent playmakers, scorers of the decade. Absolutely, and if not for injuries, he's he's probably in everyone's top three of the decade. Uh, he's he's missed a ton of time with injuries, and he was robbed of the Conn Smythe in. Uh, that second cup run they made when they beat the when they beat the Predators, he had 28 points in 25 games, but he's Russian, so he wasn't going to get the Conn Smythe <laughs> before OB did. Uh, but at, yeah, great great pick in number eight. Uh, my number seven is Henrik Lundqvist, the oh, only me goalie too. that really yep. the only goalie that made my list. Uh, the the king, literally, of goalies in the decade. I. I can already hear Montreal coming after us for this, but it's it's really not even close. His even strength save percentage for the entire decade was 927. He's third in wins. He led the Rangers to the playoffs seven times. He only has the one Vesna, which the pressure is always a little bit higher when you play in New York. And I think a lot of it has to do, if Henrik Lundqvist played in a small market, we would all feel bad for him all the time. We would all wish he played for a better team in front of him. But because he plays New York, we just assume that he's got a good team that underperforms. And people always love to look at his playoff numbers or not look at his playoff numbers and say he doesn't show up in the playoffs when in reality the only cup final they made was because of him. And the only time they ever win, really win games in the playoffs is because of him. He's been... He's been unbelievable, and the general manager—I mean, the general managers—can go fuck themselves for not appreciating this guy more in the decade. 
But that just goes back to the Vesna. I mean, the Vesna is a great award to add to your resume. But when we've got the GMs voting on something, I'm not really going to take it to heart when guys do or don't win the award. Yeah, he's his his longevity to me is the most impressive. He's last year was the first year or the eighteen nineteen season was the first season that he didn't get twenty wins in his career, and he's had thirty wins eleven times, and has never had thirty losses in a season. Jeez. It's just been consistently good. Same with me is the only goalie I have on my list. I also had him at seven. If I had to pick a goalie for an entire decade, it's it's Lundqvist, hands down. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And let me say that again. The only goalie I would pick for my team over this decade is Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, who do you have at number six? At six, I have Anze Kopitar. Ooh. Uh, the Kings won, obviously, a few Stanley Cups. What was it two? Two of this decade? Two. two. 2012 and 2014. Two, yeah. Uh, Kopitar, he's been, you know, you can tell I love my two-way forwards. He's been a Selkie winner twice, um, Lady Bing once. Has been, a lot of people forget because the Kings are so bad and they have been recently, but they were they were dominant for so long. And I'd say Kopitar was that playmaker. Um, the, I don't know, how, the driving force on offense, I don't know how else to put it, but he was just, he was that spark plug for that team that was so good for that period of time. Yeah, I mean, I'll put it this. I mean, Andre Kopitar didn't make my list either. But I will say, going back to what I was what I was talking about with Bergeron, if Andre Kopitar is the top-line center for the Bruins, they win more than just in 2011. He, he possesses the puck better than just about anybody in this decade. He led the playoffs in points in both of the King Stanley Cup wins before he was even captain. This was Dustin Brown-led Kings at this point. Uh, and the, the best thing about Andre Kopitar I can say for this decade is when we had the World Cup of Hockey, he was going to be left off because there was going to be no Slovenian team. Uh, so they created Team Europe so they could make sure that Andre Kopitar was put on the world stage. <laughs> I mean, that's that really is what it boils down to. Andre Kopitar, uh, an incredible player. It sucks the way things are going for the Kings because he is getting up there in age. And we're probably not going to see him play for another team and get another chance at the Cup. But definitely, uh, outside of Dotsuk, I'd say he's my second best two-way forward. Uh, I mean, him, Dotsuk, and Taves. I mean, you, Bergeron's obviously part of that group. But Taves being the two-way guy that he was, Andre Kopitar just did it a little better as far as finding the back of the net in clutch moments. And say what you will about the Kings since he became captain, those two cup runs was they were so focused on Andre Kopitar and, and Jonathan Quick that I think people have since forgotten how important he is to to the game. It's a good good choice at six. Uh, my number six is Eric Carlson. He's the second and last defenseman on my list. He kind of he reinvented himself as a two way defenseman instead of. I mean, when he came into the league, he was only offense. And I think he's been so good defensively in the past few years that we forget. And Sean McIndoe from the Athletics said it best. Like, we've kind of changed our way of thinking into tricking ourselves that he's always been good defensively because he really wasn't. And if you're going to 
if people want to leave them off his list for that reason, I totally get it. But the way he, I can't say he reinvented the way people play defense because Nicky Lidstrom was doing it before he was. But as far as being able to compensate for not being great defensively with unbelievable speed, carrying a god-awful Senators team to the Eastern Conference Final, two Norris trophies, four-time finalists. He's, I mean, short, I mean, if he's healthy for this entire decade, he's probably some people's number two or number three on their all-decade list, and without a doubt, their number one defenseman of the 2010s, which he is for a lot of people. Like I said, he's mine. Uh, but as far as Swedish defensemen, I think it goes Lidstrom Carlson and then a huge gap between whoever's next. Yeah, I'm kicking myself a little bit because I left Carlson off my list. But um, you're right, he's he's been so – the way he skates as a defenseman is – and you mentioned Lidstrom. I, still, I even think Carlson's a better skater than Lidstrom. Just the way he – you alluded to it, the way you reinvented reinvented the way the defensive position is, position is played. I just don't think anyone plays it quite like he does, and his speed gives him such an advantage. And maybe that's why he wasn't defensive right away. But you're right; it's watching him play is so much different than watching any other defenseman play. Yeah, he he led all defensemen with 588 points in the decade, and he led in takeaways with 569. Just. A nice, but an unbelievable talent on the blue line. And I mean, John Carlson and Kale McCarr are probably the two closest we'll see to an offensive defenseman that is also very good defensively. Because I, what we've seen from Eric Carlson over the last year and a half isn't great as far as the future. But I think he, people are going to play like Eric Carlson because of what he's been able to do over the course of his career in the course of this decade. Yeah, I think so too. And we were uber fortunate to be able to have watched that guy during his prime. Yeah, I had uh, All right. I had top five. Yeah, I had Steven Stamkos at five. Um, you okay. Had, you had him a little bit earlier. Pretty much for the reason you said, a couple of rocker shards, great goal scorer, was, has that, which I've said before, I just, I, I love his shot. Um, it's, you're always on the edge of your seat thinking it's going to go in. He's been – we've seen Kucherov come up lately for the Lightning, but for the most part, it's been the Steven Stamkos show in Tampa. Kind of put that team on the map. I, I just think he – aside from Ovechkin, like you said earlier, and then even Patrick Laine, who is not on my list, not hasn't played enough, hasn't, hasn't played well enough, but I kind of grouped those three guys together as far as shooting goes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Stamkos had undoubtedly the best shot from anywhere on the ice for most of this decade. I think an argument could be made for putting him and Austin Matthews on the ice and just seeing who can rip the most corners from anywhere on their own half of the ice, really. Yeah. I mean, once he crosses the red line, he's he's a danger to put the puck in the back of that. He's... I mean, if we lived in a world without Alexander Ovechkin, we're looking at Steven Samkos as one of the best scorers of all time. So, yeah, I, I can't fault you at all for putting him in your top five. He definitely deserves there. And, I mean, Wyshynski had him in eight. I know a lot of people have him higher as well. 
Steve, I mean, Steven Samuels is, and he's quiet, and you you know you don't hear anything from yeah. him. He just plays hard, loves the game, all the all the cliches you can think of. Uh, by number five was was Gino of Guinea Malkin. For all the years, or for all the things we listed before, I mean, fifty goals, one hundred nine points in two thousand eleven twelve is one of the best seasons in the decade. Uh, keeping that Penguins team alive while Crosby missed so much time with injury, he. He's a fantastic player, and to think that so many people have as much regard for Evgeny Malkin, a Russian player in the league, just shows how good he is. I mean, we joke about it a lot, but, I mean, there's two – in my top five, there's two Russian players. There's no secret who the other one is, but you have to be exceptionally great to be held in such high regard in Canada, especially as a Russian player – and Evgeny Malkin has done it, and he struggled with what some people are classifying as, as an attitude problem. He struggled with injuries, and he just goes out and plays some of the best hockey you'll see anytime you turn on the TV. And he to be second fiddle to a guy like Sidney Crosby would be crippling for a lot of people when you're and you're as good as Evgeny Malkin, and he's done it without missing a beat. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, who's your number four? This is where it gets interesting. Yeah, so I was gonna say the top four gets dicey because I switched this order around a little bit um, pre-show, but four right now I've got Connor McDavid. Um, and, same. Okay. Cool. Um, so we can level on that. He hasn't played. Obviously, we're gonna have the same top three. <laughs> um, hasn't played the entire decade. He's only played half of it. But two Rosses, two Pearsons, been All Star three times. He's, I can't say it enough. He's head and shoulders above everyone else when he's on the ice for the most part, depending on who they're playing. But uh, the kid is just so much fun to watch. I think he's going to be fun to watch for a long period of time if he can stay away from injuries. It's just this one is, if you're just pulling out, you know, research stats from the last decade, maybe, and you don't watch any hockey, maybe you miss Connor McDavid. But this is one where you like, if you if you watch Connor McDavid, you know, he's, if he would have played the whole decade, he's one of the best players of the decade. Yeah, I mean, if he plays the whole decade, he's one of the greatest players of all time already. Yeah. Uh, all his per 60 minutes numbers are far and away top three or four, probably top two among forwards. He's only played 323 NHL games. So some people, you know, I keep, you know, big, big shout out to Greg Rashinsky for putting this list in front of me. He has him at number two. I think it, I can't justify putting him top three just after the way this decade's gone. There's too much. I mean, as hockey fans, I'm not going to do it. But we have so many players that have been unbelievable this decade that it's crazy to me that people yearn for some other style of hockey. But Connor McDavid is the only and best example of what hockey is turning into. In just over four seasons, two scoring titles, a Hart Trophy, another top three finish for the Hart. He led the Oilers to a playoff appearance, won a series, leads the NHL in wins above replacement per 60. He's just, he's unbelievable. And yeah, I'm not the biggest McDavid fan, and I still don't think he'll ever be what Sidney Crosby was. But it, regardless of that, 
you can't tell me that even if he only had played 200 games in this decade and we've seen what we've seen from him, he'd be in my top 10. Yeah. So, and he's the best player in the world right now, which is also important to remember. So yeah, Connor McDavid, easy choice for top four. Uh, my number three, I had him at two, but I really thought to myself, Kyle, what are you doing? Uh, Patrick Kane. Okay. Led the league, led the league in points for the entire decade. Yeah, that's probably due to Crosby's injuries. Well, it's definitely due to Crosby's injuries. Oh my God, you. Um, but he is, he's electrifying. He's one of the smallest guys that you take notice of. Oh my God, these sirens. Uh, he's, he's, he's one of the smallest players where you always notice when he's on the ice. Uh, every goal he scores seems to be an important goal. What he's done in the playoffs just continues to, I mean, obviously there haven't been playoff performances from him in the last couple of years and there won't be one this year, but he scored some incredible goals. He has an overtime Stanley cup winning goal in 2010. It's he's not only my favorite player in the league today, he's probably one of my favorites of all time. And he reinvented Jonathan Taze was important. Duncan Keith, we talked about, but Patrick Kane is the Chicago Blackhawks for this decade. Yeah. It's it. Is your ride an ambulance? That's pretty sweet. Uh, <laughs> the, the no, those sirens are what you get for um, dropping Kane below Crosby. I had Crosby at three, um, and I did have Kane at second because. And I know you mentioned a lot of the injuries, but the and that's the, the reason why Kane has scored more this decade than Crosby points wise. But to me, and I said I flip-flopped him a lot pre-show, and this obviously was part of that. And I did settle on Crosby at three, Kane at two, uh, just because they both won cups. And so I didn't really have a reason to drop Kane below other than the injuries for Crosby and the fact that Kane has sustained sustained his scoring ability through some rougher rosters than Crosby has uh, evens out the injury platform to me. So I... For that reason, I did inch Kane above Crosby, which I thought you'd be happy about. Uh, yeah, I mean, it gives me a massive chub. I we'll get to the end of the list, and I want to discuss that. But I thank you for for that. <laughs> uh, let's not get too deep into into Crosby just yet. Uh, my number two is Ovechkin. That's my number and, one. Yeah, I I figured from the way you were talking about that uh, when. When he's on the ice, you know where the puck is going to end up. Power play, even strength, shorthanded, anything. Alex Ovechkin does it with the puck on his, on his stick better than anybody has ever done it. Alex Ovechkin's the greatest scorer this league has ever seen. He's going to break Gretzky's record. He finally got the monkey off his back and won the cup. Had the greatest cup celebration of all time. Uh, Conn Smythe, Hart Trophy, six scoring titles. He he's 1.04 points per game in 794 games. Makes it. I mean, he's he's an underrated playmaker and the best sniper ever. It's no contest for me that he's top three apparent or top two. Apparently, number one for you, which I can't fault you for. But Alex Ovechkin is is as his home announcer will put it, simply sensational. Yeah, I 
the reason I put him at one is pretty much everything you just said. He put himself on pace this decade to break a Wayne Gretzky record and not just any Wayne Gretzky record. It's the goal record. So, and on top of that, got the monkey off his back, got that cup to me that puts him at number one. Um, I can't, it's, I understand why you have Crosby at one and I can't fault you for it because everything that Crosby has accomplished is absolutely unreal and probably untouchable. But to me, the, what Ovechkin has done to put himself on pace to accomplish what he's about to accomplish. And you seem pretty set that he's going to, it is so impressive. I mean, the, the difference between this decade, the difference between Alex Ovechkin and second place in goals, which is Steven Stamkos is the same between Steven Stamkos and Jonathan Taves, who is in 15th. Oh my gosh. The, sta- the difference between Alex Ovechkin and Steven Stamkos in power play goals, Stamkos is second, is the same difference as Stamkos in 12th place, which is Patrick Marlowe. He has 3,240 shots during that time. No one else has over 2,500. What he can do when that puck releases off his stick is something we will – Austin Matthews has a great shot. Steven Stamkos has a great shot. We will never, ever – see a goal scorer with the intentions to put a puck through the goalie's chest like Alex Ovechkin. What, what is that? The greatest goal differential between him and Stamkos. Uh, yeah. Does it say exactly what it is? I don't have it pulled up, um, but I can find out while we vamp. So so you've Ovi at one. Go into, go into Kane at two. Why, while, while I find out this goal differential, other than exactly what I said, because you are obviously not a Blackhawks fan. So when you're thinking about Kane at two, what's going through your head? Always American-born, and I know, I know you can level with me on that. But, Love that. Um, and also his what Kane has overcome, his size, just – and playing – Staying healthy. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> staying healthy, that's important. But – just finding chemistry with different guys on his team. And I know, and I'm not trying to slight Crosby. I know he's done that as well, but I, there's just something. Look, if you, if you told me I had to pick and I'm building a team, if I had to pick Crosby or Kane, it would be a tough decision. And honestly, career wise, I want to say Crosby. Uh, that's who I pick just because of his, his career, what he's done. And, but just, if I'm singling it out, to the, and I know I flip-flopped because I didn't single out the decade for Datsyuk, but if I single out just the decade, there's just something speaks to me that it's, it's, I'm putting Kane over Crosby. And I, and maybe it's just because I, I just don't have all the love in the world for Crosby. <laughs> That's fair. The uh, Alex Ovechkin has 680 goals in his career. That is 274 more. Than Steven Stamkos. Wow. That's unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Ovechkin's played 1,120 games. Steven Stamkos has played 776, but oh. Stamkos is not making up that difference in that in that yeah. 350 games. Uh, so I obviously have Sidney Crosby at one. Uh, I don't just have Sidney Crosby at one for this decade. Obviously, we've talked about in the past, but we'll leave it at this decade. I just want to read something for you. Real quick, just to put it into perspective, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying 
why everyone will probably have Sid at the top. Uh, he led the Penguins to back-to-back Stanley Cups, the first time since your Red Wings did that in 96 through 98. He won back-to-back Conn Smythes, only the third player in NHL history to do that. He had 836 points in 670 games. Two times led the NHL in goals scored. A Hart Trophy, two-time NHL Player Association Player of the Year. He led the, he led the NHL in goals and wins above average. He is turn. He has turned most of the NHL outside of Flyers fans into Crosby respecters. I don't want to say fans because that's that's insane. Uh, but it's not just. I mean, Andy's got the gold medals, and if we're talking strictly NHL, he's done it all. If we're talking hockey, he's done even more than it all. He he used to be just the guy that complained to refs in a lot of people's minds. And he was always going to be – he's always going to be crybaby Crosby to a lot of people. Our former podcast co-host will always refer to him as that. Uh, he has silenced so many people who thought that that's all he was going to be. And beyond what he does on the ice, he's been so important to the game that when he got concussions – the NHL realized that concussions were a problem. At least at least a certain amount of people did. Gary Bettman still won't acknowledge it. But Rule 48 was already in place when he got those concussions. Excuse me. Rule 48 was already in place when he got those concussions. And then after he gets those concussions, on the first day of the Stanley Cup final in 2011, Gary Bettman announced the creation of the Department of Player Safety. Say what you will about what Department of Player Safety has done in that time. <laughs> but hockey is a better place to be because of Sidney Crosby. He's going to go down as a lot of people's number two player of all time. He's Some people might have him as the number one player of all time. I'm not going to single those people out. But those people are right in my eyes. He went from the best scorer to a Selkie-worthy defender. I could make I could do the whole episode on why he's my number one, but have him at number three, that's fine. But I think if you really dive in to what he's accomplished, including injuries since his induction to the NFL, even though that's beyond this decade, it's he's far and away uh, my number one. In the, the we talked about the difference between Ovi and Stamkos' goals. The difference between Sid at one and Ovi at two is wider than any gap I could have on my list. It's just he's been that good, and I love Ovi, and I love Patrick Kane. I even love Getty Malkin at five, but Sidney Crosby, It's it's been his decade, and I mean, shit, I'm not totally convinced he won't be top three for the next decade as well. Yeah, he's kind of in that Tom Brady, LeBron James category where these guys get hate for the early amount of their career for no other reason other than they're good and when you're in that kind of company yeah you're you're obviously you're one of the greats and i i think that's that's what crosby had early on people were hating and they labeled it whatever they wanted you know cry baby or um soft or whatever they wanted to say and they masked it however they wanted to mask it but 
yeah, when you're when you receive that kind of slander for just being great, it's it speaks to how great you are. Yeah. So that's our top ten of the decade. Uh, I'm sure nobody will have an issue with anything we did. I mean, that's uh, they never do. They they never ever do. Uh, who's your favorite player of the decade? Carey Price. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was literally taken aback before I realized it was a joke. No, my favorite player is um, man. I want to say Pavel Datsuk because since he he could have played one game in the decade and he'd be my favorite player of the decade. Um, if I had to go full decade, it's Ovechkin. I'm just a, such a big Ovechkin guy. That's fair. That's my roommates too. Uh, mine's Patrick Kane. I said it when I talked about him. For his play, he's had to overcome a lot as well. Not just inj- not just staying healthy and bad rosters like we talked about, but you know he's been in the news for some pretty negative reasons. One he admitted to, and another that people will blame him for the rest of his life, even though nothing came about it. So uh, Patrick Kane, just such a cool guy too. Wouldn't want to party with him because he seems like he goes a bit overboard sometimes, but <laughs> overall, definitely my favorite player of the decade. Uh, let's let's finish this off with a naughty and nice list. Okay. How's that sound? Uh, I'll start number one on my naughty list is Claude Giroux. Uh, every kid who whines and cries and bitches to his parents about every little thing definitely deserves to be on the naughty list. And uh, just recently popped into my head or – it popped into my head while I was doing this naughty nice list. I watched him take all of his strength to put a slash on the back of Darlene's calf, basically, uh, the other day because Darlene tripped a guy in front of the net, like just a regular play. And Darlene accidentally trips. I don't remember who it was, Connect Me or somebody. And uh, Claude Drew comes around and slashes him in the back of the leg for no fucking reason. Hmm. And all he does is whine and complain and his fans say how notice how neither of us had Claude Giroux in our top 10. Yeah. He wasn't even close. He's not even in my top. Three. No, yeah, me neither. But uh, yeah, Claude Giroux is number one on my naughty list. Okay. I'm gonna go nice list first then. Um, and I've got Jonathan Huberdeau. Ooh. Uh, 33 assists for the Panthers. The Florida Panthers, who are seeing some success this year. Still, we keep every episode, we're bringing up Panthers, seeing success. Um, assist leaders in the NHL, McDavid at 39, Drysaddle at 37, John Carlson at 34. And we've talked enough about those those guys, but at Sid at four is Jonathan Huberdeau with 33 assists on a Florida Panthers team. Uh, guys just dishing out apples left and right, and they're pretty sweet apples. Uh, guys, on, sweet. guys on a nice list, he's being a good guy this, this season. Yeah, number one on my nice list is John Carlson. Oh. So right above him and right above your boy Huberdeau. Uh and his, I was looking at defense, but I'm trying to find Huberdeau. Yeah. He's, you know, one assist ahead of Huberdeau. Uh, he's got forty seven overall points, leading all defensemen by thirteen. He's got one more goal than Dougie Hamilton, but nine more assists than Keith Yandel, who's in second place. John Carlson keeps making my life as a Kale McCarr supporter difficult, but John Carlson definitely on the nice list, getting a huge present, probably in the shape of the Norris Trophy. This year. <laughs> uh, my naughty list is uh, a little short because I'm just I just tend to be in a good mood all the time. But 
Um, I'm, I'm going to slander the avalanche a little bit for, throw, for sending my boy Adam Warner down to the <laughs> minors. Naughty, naughty list. I checked it twice. I'm so glad we got that episode out so that you could uh, show your love for Adam Warner. Uh, my next on the naughty list is DJ Smith. And if you don't know who DJ Smith is, that's fine because he's the coach of the Ottawa Senators, so he doesn't really matter. Uh, and if I was doing a 90 seconds, it would be about DJ Smith because that pile of garbage played Thomas Shabbat for 35 minutes I saw in that. an overtime loss. That is – your, your team is going to do nothing this season. Shabbat is probably one of the only two bright spots on your team. And it is completely irresponsible, irrational, whatever words you can think of to talk about what a pile of shit DJ Smith is for doing that. And don't tell me, after the last few weeks, do not tell me that Thomas Shabbat can choose to not go on the ice. He goes on the ice every time his coach says to. He comes off the ice when his coach tells him to. 35 minutes for a team that's going nowhere this season is is ridiculous, and we should never see that from anybody in the NHL, but let alone a young star uh, for a team that is going to do nothing this season. Yeah, that's... DJ Smith gets all the cold this year. <laughs> I'll finish out my naughty list. Uh, Dallas Stars for not telling us what is going on with Jim Montgomery still. I Ooh, that's a good would one. still like to know. Still, I'm... I was curious, and then I was frustrated, and now I'm just bordering on the line of uh, I'm about to be pissed off if I don't figure this out. Yeah, I was thinking about bringing that up this episode, but it'd be the same thing we said last episode. Like, there's nothing the, – nothing has changed, which is still bonkers to me. But if they're – I mean, like I said, we're going to find out eventually. It just sucks that somehow we still don't know. Uh, I have two people left on my nice list. Uh, and one on my naughty list, so I'll go nice first. <laughs> Svechnikov is unbelievable. Another lacrosse-style goal the other night. I, really? I didn't it's called – yeah, he did it again. So he, it's been done twice all time in the NHL, uh, both by him. It's no longer the Michigan in my mind. It's the Svechnikov. It's got to be, right? I, that's got to be what it's called. Yeah, it, no question. Uh, and he's – He's played him and Sebastian Ajo finally picked it up, and the Canes are again a problem for the league. But uh, Svechnikov definitely on the nice list. Uh, hopefully, he finishes with 69 points this year because that would be nice. he'd be high on the nice list, yeah. but also just scores incredible goals. Um, last on my nice list, and I'll let you finish yours up. I got Tyler Bertuzzi. Uh, showing some love to my Red Wings. They're struggling, tanking, however we want to put it. Uh, we're not looking for any sort of success this year. We're just rebuilding. But uh, Bertuzzi's got 12 goals, 16 assists, leading the team with 28 points. Um, like to see in a rebuilding year that one of those young guys is is at least showing some promise. Yeah, I mean, props to Tyler Bertuzzi for finding a way to get a Red Wing on the nice list. <laughs> for finding put a Red Wing on the nice list. Uh, the end of my, ni- my nice list is Tristan Jari. Yes. His stats are unbelievable. He's played in 16 games. He started 14. He's 11 and 5, which obviously isn't perfect, but we like to see it. He's got a 186 goals against average and a 939 save percentage. Uh, we talked about the complete team aspect of the Penguins, and he's a he's been a huge part of it this year. They have three serviceable goaltenders, but Tristan Jari right now is far and away playing as their as their number one goaltender. 
He could turn me into a Penguins fan. He could. (laughs) Then then definitely on my nice list. (laughs) And the last on my naughty list is myself. Uh, Solely for for last week, I called, uh, or in our last episode, I referred to the Devils GM as Lou Lamarillo, which is not the case anymore. It's definitely Ray Shiro. Uh, And nobody, so the listeners are also on my naughty list because no one called me out on that. But yeah, how did, I, how did you figure that, it out? Where is that revelation? Uh, I was in the shower and realized that Ray Shiro probably didn't do as much as he could to get Taylor Hall, and then I realized, oh wait, I called him Lou Lamarillo just forty-eight hours ago. <laughs> the best things so happen in the shower. This is a PG podcast, even though okay. I had to put the explicit symbol on every podcast. <laughs> but that's again reason I'm on the naughty list. <laughs> So that is, uh, I think that wraps up the Christmas episode. Uh, the best Christmas gift we could get is the fact that you guys keep listening to this dumb show. Uh, like I said last week, we have a lot of really cool stuff coming for this podcast in 2020. We have two interviews lined up for January. Uh, 2020 is going to be the year of the interview. So anyone you guys want to hear from or think that we could uh, get on this show, definitely let us know and uh, keep tagging us in tweets and whatever it takes to get people to realize that not only the show exists, but that we sometimes know what we're talking about when we're not referring to the GMs by the wrong name. (laughs) Uh, So we're going to figure out some sort of recording schedule for the end of the year if we can, but it's, it's been such a great 2019 as far as building this podcast up to be what it is in the two episodes, as much as I thought it would kill me has not yet. And Zach Mack and I are both going to start slowing down in our uh, professional life, which just means more content for you listeners. So it's all a good thing. Yeah, I'm excited. Merry Christmas to all the listeners out there. And uh, KJ, Merry Christmas to you and yours. Thank you, man, to you as well. And everybody, the puppers, the lady, all the good stuff. Uh, Listeners, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, uh, Happy New Year. If we don't talk to you before then, uh, enjoy some fantastic hockey outside of the Christmas break and we'll uh, we'll bring you the best and more of what we have to offer uh, as this podcast continues. Thank you guys again so much for listening for Maria for at belly up Zach Mac. I'm at belly up KJ. This was at puck puck pass pod Christmas spectacular. We will talk to you guys next week. Feliz Navidad. Be sure to follow your hosts on Twitter at Gearholtz underscore K, at BellyUpZachMac, and at PuckPuckPassPod. Puck,